0: I get the opportunity to talk to Dr. Amber Cargill, the Director of Player Wellness at the NFL's Players Association, and you've been in this position for two years, and I'm proud to be listed on the clinician directory and looking forward to ongoing collaboration with you and service with the players. You are a doctor. You're a SID. I think it's important to delineate at the beginning the difference between a PsyED, a clinical psychologist, and a sport psychologist. In our work in mental health, I think there's so many ways people can kind of like look for help, but not know what the difference is and does it matter. And so what do you think about taking some time to differentiate the areas of expertise in those professions? There are
1: some folks who go to school to just learn the human performance side of things. Uh And those folks then call themselves sports psychologists or mental performance coaches, whatever you want to call it. And they don't have any training in the mental health side of things. And so those folks are well-trained in what they're trained in. And what we know to be true is that performance issues don't create themselves out of a vacuum within a person. They are oftentimes tied to other concerns that may be unrelated to sport and kind of seep their way into their performance. Or they're just other mental health concerns, right? Like there's anxiety that shows up all over the place and it also shows up on the field, right? And so I think as folks are thinking about who to work with, I would want people to be thoughtful about is the person that you're working with, can they handle any issue that comes to me or that, or that I present with? And If the answer is yes, well, then go forth. If the answer is, well, you know, if it really starts to lean into mental health, mental health concern, I don't do therapy. I have to refer you somewhere else. You can make that choice to still work with that person. I just want you to be an informed consumer around that, and that some folks just don't have the training to work with mental health concern.
0: Absolutely, I think people who are seeking the service. There's so many letters and terminologies and names of folks that do certain things. Like to be able to have this piece of our talk to like delineate the difference between these two, the clinician and the performance consultant kind of thing, lowercase, Mm -hmm. is important. I mean, I even just, I got interviewed for this article. and When she posted, she said, sports psychologist, Lisa Bontasumi." And I was like, oh, shoot, I got to correct that because I'm not a sports psychologist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker who's also pursuing the certified mental performance certification because I want to do both. I want to be able to equip myself to meet the performance needs and the clinical needs that my athletes might come to me with. So thank you for that. I think it's so important. So, so important. So what led you to this work with athletes and then eventually to this position at the NFLPA?
1: Yeah. So as with anything in the mental health space, it all goes back to your family of origin, right? And so I was always kind of around my brother. He played basketball in college and we have a significant age difference. So I idolized my older brother and just really always had a big interest in sports i played as being younger and it just it was always something that it was just a part of our being right like it was just sports and athletics was just what we did as a family i figured out i wanted to be a psychologist sometime in high school so went off to college to kind of pursue that and then somehow i don't even remember how i figured out that those two worlds could collide in a way that was called sports psychology and so i was like oh okay, this is kind of cool. So I took the class and was sold on the concept. But then, you know, student loan debt and wanting to be practical with, with career choices kind of kicked in. I was like, well, you know, you may as well pursue your doctorate in psychology. That's the safest route and path to doing the work that you want to do. The sports psychology thing is probably a pipe dream. Just let it go. Well, it turns out that the sports psychologist for the Cleveland Indians was on faculty at Rutgers University. And so I was able to sort of pivot back to that passion I found in college and I'm very happy that that I did because I think that part of what my identity as a psychologist was pretty much from the outset was really understanding multicultural and minority mental health and was able to sort of take that and put that together with my passion for sports and so my dissertation was on race and success factors in Division One Black male athletes and just really wanting to look at, it was an exploratory study, qualitative, wanting to look at like, what do Black male athletes attribute to their success, right? Like how and what ways does their racial identity play into that, if any? And it was interesting because, you know, you find that what racial identity looks like is different across one sport, but certainly when you start getting into different sports where Black men show up, it's interesting how it comes out and you know, and the ways in which identifying with someone and identifying with their identities as black men was important to them and, and sort of helped contribute to their success, so anyway, that was a, an aside, but you know, I was able to sort of put those two worlds together in a way that I think when you see me now as the director of player Wellness for the NFLPA, it's like, well yeah, that all started back then when I was doing my dissertation and really kind of making sure these two worlds came together because as you know, the NFL is majority Black men. And I think that I'm still very much passionate about that work and really sort of being strategic in how we ensure that players and athletes in general are able to make sure their mental health needs are met. And I think from from the position I'm in now, I really get to have some input and say in what that looks like. So it's a cool job.
0: I'm sure. I mean, it sounds like it. And it sounds like you're the perfect person for it. I think that You're not the only one who I've talked to about like where you have sort of a vision or idea about how you want to be in your field. And then there's something that's like, like, no, I don't think I can do that. But then lo and behold, someone or something is presented to you. I'm like, wait a minute. That's the opportunity I think I've been waiting for. didn't think I needed, but is here. And so I think that's super inspiring and super cool because people might not even be in place to see it or recognize it. And then thus not take the opportunity, but it was right there and it was for you. So, you know, that's a really cool story. Really cool story. Give us a day in what the director of the NFL PA does. Give us a day. Who do you talk to? What kind of meetings do you have? Like, What what decisions are you making on policy level or programmatic level? I think that'd be interesting for people to hear. Do you want a good day or a bad day? (laughs) (laughs) you know what whatever day you want to share we will all love to hear
1: we'll start with a good day okay on a good day all my meetings are set and nothing sort of comes out of left field that I have to pivot to it's interesting my job is I don't want to say split down the middle because it doesn't work like that just your time can't get divided up like that but in terms of responsibilities there is the programmatic player-facing side of things where you're sort of making sure the players have resources and procuring those resources and all that goes into that. There is the league-facing side, right? So being at the PA where the union and dealing with management, which is NFL, there's a league-facing side where you're sort of beyond the individual players looking at collaboration with the league around making sure that mental health is a system-wide initiative for lack of a better word so that if we're doing something for the players and we're helping them to establish mental health what else are we doing for the coaches what are we doing for you know front office staff to make sure that the culture they're creating supports players mental health and so the league is responsible for the clubs and the owners and all of that we're responsible for the players so that is also one another sort of meeting that i would likely have and then the other side of it is substances of abuse programs so we serve as kind of an in-between Players who get themselves, who test positive for a substance of abuse are entered into the program and the PA sits in a position to sort of serve as a liaison and make sure that players' needs are getting met and that they are sort of aware of the process, both within the program, the resources available to them, but also what, how they can get out of the program and treatment and all of that stuff. So on a good day, you know, I might have a meeting with some company who's trying to service players to see whether we think it would be a good fit. I also may have a meeting with our, you know, we have wellness ambassadors. That's a group of players who are focused on or have passion about mental health and wellness. And so we might have a chat with them about something that we're working on. I may have a meeting with the league to just sort of, I guess, continue our ongoing discussions around mental health and the initiatives that we have going on. And then the best part of my day is really, like I said, getting and talk to players and being sort of Support for them when they reach out for help, depending, you know, if they're in Green Bay or if they're, you know, in Detroit, making sure I'm connecting them with whoever they need to connect with, but also just connecting with them on a human level and making sure that, you know, they see me and the PA as their union, which we are. And so we are there to support them 100%. On a bad day, all of that still goes on, and you get a call from somebody saying that something has seriously gone left with a player. And, you know, you have to figure out what the resources are on the ground, wherever they are, and, and you make sure that you support the player and whatever it is that they need in order to make sure that their mental health is taken care of. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the biggest thing I'm getting out of that, and I think our listeners would really have benefit in delineating, is the NFL is not the same as the NFL PA. Two different entities, right? Yep. Two different governing bodies, two different ways of functioning, and two different priorities, The NFL is for the players, regardless of their team, and the NFL is keeping their organization and their team at the forefront. Their priority is that, right? Not that they don't prioritize the players, but it's just different. It's a different distinction.
1: Is that correct? Absolutely. I think the other distinction, so folks in my building would say the union represents the players, the NFL represents the 32 billionaires, Right. There is truth to that, but what I will say is that my counterpart at the league, also a clinical and sports psychologist, I think what she did when they established the behavioral health agreement in 2019 is held the league and the PA accountable that there should be no daylight between us when it comes to mental health. Right, like all the fighting you might read about with the PA and the league for CBA stuff. Read into it what you want to read into it, and there may be some truth to it. There may not be some truth to it, but what we want to establish is that in terms of the mental health space, she and I are on the same page. And that, for the most part, is, is 100% true. We agree that players' mental health is at the forefront of, of our priorities. And the ways that we can do that are to ensure that the people around our players are also taken care of and also have a priority of their own mental health. They make their own mental health a priority as well. So,
0: Yeah, because the players don't exist in a silo, right? They're part of a system of coaches, organizations, trainers. All of that. Owners, they all impact each other. And so I think that's a very encompassing, thorough way to approach it. But, okay, there's ways that the player can take care of themselves and get support and education, but that everyone around them also has to. I think that's super important. I mean, you spoke really openly and clearly about, like, it's important for you, for the players to have folks who service them and work with them to reflect them that the majority of the players in the NFL are Black men. What does it mean to you as far as visibility and representation that you are a Black woman in this position?
1: It means a lot because obviously I benefit from being here, but I think it's the right move to have a woman of color in this role. And I think to speak to, you know, just kind of how our union works is I think I'm here because this is what our players want, right? Like I think our players want to see... A woman of color in this role, in in this type of position. When I get requests from players all the time, I help them to get comfortable asking for who they want to see, right? And sometimes Uh they don't know that they can request, they can ask for a man or a woman or a person of color. They don't know they can do that. And I appreciate when they do realize they can do that and that they do then pursue seeking the treatment because they have at least, limited or lowered one barrier for themselves in terms of who they are sitting across from or who they're sitting on screen with and to meet with. And so it means a lot personally. I think it also just speaks to the power our players' voices have because we listen, right? Like that's this is who you want to see. This is who you want in the roles so we feel comfortable with. We we certainly will accommodate as best we can. And I think what it also allows players to do is it provides this base for our identity factors to be okay. K to talk about. And I think 2020 certainly added a lot of fuel to this fire. But even still, I think sort of seeing the folks who do this work in these positions helps them to understand a couple of things. You know, obviously, we know our famous players, right? Like we know who they are. There are 2,000 active players in the league right now, most of their names you don't know. Many of them play in the league a couple years and then they come out of the league and have to figure out something else for themselves. So it's been on more than one occasion, I've had a player approach me and say, I want to be a team clinician one day. Can we talk through what that might look like and how I might go about that? And I think seeing me and seeing what I represent as a Black woman in this position helps them to feel like it's something that they can also do and it's attainable to them too. I hope that makes sense.
0: Totally. Totally. Absolutely. It totally makes sense we got to see ourselves reflected in the places and spaces that we want to occupy. And when we see those faces and people, then it leaves us feeling like it's okay to be here. Like we belong here. Absolutely. So it absolutely makes sense. I mean, you spoke of some of the famous players right now who have spoken out about mental health in their personal lives. We have Dak Prescott, the quarterback for the Cowboys, whose brother died of suicide, died by suicide. That languaging is important. That's new in the upcoming mental health awareness culture shift. We don't say committed suicide anymore because it puts it as if it's a total choice with no other parameters in play. Died by suicide means that we understand that it is an illness, That feeling suicidal and acting on it and dying by it is the most extreme manifestation of depression, and that there is a mental health disorder and illness that the individual is and has struggled with. So I think that's important to point out died by suicide. Doug Prescott founded the Faith Fight Finish Foundation. So not only is he wearing the wrist tape where he put Messaging there directly for folks to see, you know, ask for help. That that's seen on TV. Everybody sees it. That he's speaking up about it, and then he puts organization and his money and time and energy to a foundation. We also have Solomon Thomas of the Las Vegas Raiders, whose sister died by suicide, and he founded the Defensive Line Foundation. And then most recently, Everson Griffin of the Vikings has come out about his struggles with bipolar. Apparently been struggling with the manifestations of that mental health disorder for a long time and has recently been exacerbated by the death of his mother, a major stressor that any human can face and then lead them to a lower level of functioning because of managing that stressor. I mean, these are all Black men. These are all some of the more famous players. But what does it mean, do you think, in your experience to the other players, the players you just spoke about? who may be only one or two years in the league, don't get that infamy. What does it mean to them that their colleagues are coming out and speaking about their
1: personal experiences? I think to speak to exactly what you said before, right? Like you want to see yourself in certain spaces and it helps to have someone you know communicating something that might be speaking to you. And so I commend all of those players. And let's not forget the guys this season, I think we've seen a spate of players say, hey, I need a time out from football for a little bit to take care of myself. It goes a long way, right? Like I think what we tend to see is that, you know, something like that happens publicly or, you know, the more someone speaks out, the more we get requests for people to go seek help. There is a one-to-one direct relationship. And the two years that I've been here, we are continuing to see more and more. We are getting more and more calls from guys to to get referrals to resources. So obviously it's having an impact, right? And I, I think we certainly want to look to the guys with the big names because it, it says something, it means something, you know, Dak is a quarterback. He's in a leadership role within his team. So that has some meaning to it. I also don't want to minimize the importance of really understanding some context that we're in right now. So the context we're in is that a lot of our players are coming from, and when I would say this before, I would say from the power five schools, and that's not even true anymore. Like it's not just the power five schools. They're coming from programs where there either is in the athletic department or very closely associated with the athletic department, a mental health professional like there, and present. And so as these guys are coming through college, the message that they're getting is that mental health is a part of performance, right? Like it's a part of your athletic identity. It's a part of what you need to do to be elite. So when they come to the league, this is not new to them, right? Like it's just a part of what happens, right? And gosh, that's a great thing. You know what I mean? Because it means we are sort of doing our job and lowering the stigma here. Absolutely. Because it becomes less of a Barrier, a hurdle, it becomes less of a concern about perception to just ask for help because they've been given the opportunity to see that it's not a bad thing to ask. And so, my hope for players coming through, and and as we continue to have newer and newer, we have new cohorts every year, right? But as generations of players kind of change, that this stigma conversation that we're talking about is a thing of the past, right? Players just know to ask for help because it's just what you do and i think that is playing out both in why players are feeling the two that you mentioned had family members you know siblings die by suicide those are traumatic experiences that prompted them to be strong and and powerful advocates of mental health there are also a lot of guys who do this work because they know it's okay to do it now right like and so i want to honor the full spectrum of the work that our players are doing and how impactful it is
0: yes i think that's super important i think that Even the guys, like you said, who don't come out and use the words yet, like mental health or my mental health yet, but want to take that time off or whether it's a year or or less to take care of themselves. I mean, without saying it, they're taking care of their holistic being, which includes mental health. You know, I think there's still some tentativeness with some people to really say that. I think, and I'd love to hear what you think, it continues just to be a lack of informed information and details around what athlete mental health or mental health is and what it isn't. So with that, I wanted to ask you, you know, like, what myths about mental health and then mental illness need to continue to be demystified and clarified and given accurate information to? Like, What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Something you said prompted a thought about players who are still hesitant, and that's 100% true. The team clinician positions are solidified and written into our CBA. We're the only professional sports league that has that, as far as I know. So it's important as an initiative. The truth of the matter is, is that if everything goes the way that is written, then one would say, well, Amber, why do players call you? They have a team clinician they can go to. And the fact of the matter is, is that part of hesitancy is while they may be coming through a generation or coming through athletic departments that is okay with mental health, their coaches and their GMs may not be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So their hesitance is healthy hesitance. I want to make that distinction clear too, right? Because there are players who do still have some hesitation, and it's a hundred percent because they don't trust anybody at the club, right? To not divulge that information, number one, but then number two, to use it against them in some way, right? To use them to make personnel decisions that then hurt them. So, I wanted to just kind of put that out there. Thank you for that. Super important, and that's another reason that's part of why it's important that these conversations don't only happen from the PA side of things, don't only happen with the players, that they happen with the league too, because That's work on the culture side of each of the 32 clubs that that still needs to happen. Demystifying mental health and mental illness, I think what we tell players is everyone has mental health, right? Not everyone has mental illness. And there's a big distinction on that continuum before you get to mental illness. So let's be clear about what we're talking about and that to maintain your mental health, seeking help is certainly a good thing to do so that we don't get ourselves in a situation where we're into the mental illness piece. And then oftentimes when we're in the mental illness space, things get completely and totally out of your control, right? So things that we're talking to players about is just you know defining what mental illness and mental health are and what they aren't, right? Like I think that is is 100% what still needs to happen. I think a big one for us in sort of demystifying is the confidentiality piece. So sort of to take the legal stance and the ethical stance, being very clear on what confidentiality is for you know, myself as a psychologist, for mental health professionals, social workers outside of the club and what you can expect when you go to meet with someone outside of the club and, and how confidentiality works. Most importantly, the ones in the club, because I think that's when it becomes gray, right? Once you're in the building the team clinician is a contractor or an employee of the club, that tends to have certain connotations with some folks, right? And so being clear with people around what is supposed to be shared, nothing without your consent, and what's not supposed to be shared, everything without your consent is very much a big part of of what we do here to sort of help people understand what it is that mental health and treatment actually is.
0: No, so important. I think I like, toggle both worlds. Like i work for a team and I have my own private clients who are part of other teams and organizations that I'm not a part of. So, you know, when I work with my team, I tell them exactly what you just said about confidentiality. And I tell the players, is it okay for me to aggregately share themes of our work as I would with other players who say it's okay so that the organization can continue to provide what is needed? So... I asked them, and I won't mention names. It's aggregate thematic kind of information. And they always say yes because they want their own teammates and the organization to continue to grow in there. But I still want to document that they said that was okay, even though the names aren't going to be shared. I think that what came up for me when you were talking about the coaches, the players are still hesitant because they don't trust that the coaches are going to receive them and not use it against them for personnel reasons, other things, personnel decisions. I'm starting to watch Colin Kaepernick docuseries with my family and we watched the first one and he very (coughs) descriptively, visually and verbally describes the tryout process of the combine as similar to a slave auction. And he shows the similarities very clearly of traditionally white coaches, that's changing, which is awesome, and white owners are Looking on pads of paper, writing down the measurements and size and physical abilities of the athletes. Whereas that's similar to what the slave owners were doing in assessing whether I want to buy that. I say that, not him, that to help me with my cotton field or whatever the heck they're going to put the slaves to work in, that it's the same thing. And like, I kind of thought about that before, but not, I wasn't delivered it in the same way visually, it was really profound. We had to pause that one and discuss it in my family. So that was intense and super important to see that. Like, I would love a day, I'm sure you share the sentiment one day in the future that our coaches and owners continue to be diversified, which they are, and that they are not seeing our players as just commodities, as just pieces of meat that perform you know that they are full humans and have much to offer to the sport and to our society more than what they just do on the field so i don't know what your thoughts on that i was just like oh dangish i got
1: to <laughs> well, i got to pause and process this one but yeah i share that sentiment you know i think not all clubs are the same and you certainly do have whole clubs who take that approach And top to bottom, that they do care about their players. Their players are genuinely and generally happy to be at that particular organization. Those are facts. But I think you're also always bumping up against the reality that this is a business, right? And I think one of the things that is important for players to know, and they get the message, right, is that this is a business. And from my perspective, it's how do you not get caught up in the hype of the family sentiment? Because at some point, somebody may come to you and tell you, you're no longer with the team and that you need to pack up your stuff. Families in general, typically don't operate like that. Right. And so I certainly want to make sure that it's clear that, you know, there are good folks and good coaches and good folks all over 32 clubs, right? Like it's not black and white. And you push that and you bump that up against the fact that this is a business. And sometimes you may lose sight of the fact that these are human beings, these are players, and yes, they're paid money. For this, and I don't like when that's always thrown in there. But they're paid money. But does it change the optics? No, it doesn't change the optics at all. So I, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there too. That it's important, as from where I sit, to ensure that players are grounded in reality. And reality is, this is a business. Yep.
0: And the fact that it's a business means to be a player in the NFL is your job. It's your job. People get paid for jobs. But if we look at another job, let's say someone is an accountant at a big firm their boss isn't just going to treat them as a number pusher pencil pusher whatever just to do that job they still have team cohesion sort of parties and like they'll go out to happy hour or have a holiday party like they still build that but what's different there is that there's not a automatic turnover every year potentially or simultaneous turnover throughout the year due to injury or whatever so I get from the player's side, it's like, okay, I want to feel fully committed almost, but like, I don't know where I might be in a few months and how do I navigate that? Like, I have to learn that with my first season, with my team, like I'm feeling like, I had to process my own grief around saying goodbye to some of the players I really got close with and got to know, and they're now on to a different team. And like processing, how is that with you guys that this person's leaving or that person's leaving and you're staying and they're like, oh, we go through this every season. We're used to it. I'm like, okay, okay. And how does that feel though? Just because it's a regular occurrence doesn't mean there isn't any emotional impact or experience. So it's a lot. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for your time. I've been asking you all kinds of questions. I've appreciated all the thought that you've taken into your answers. Is there anything that you want to make sure you share or that you say that you haven't had a chance yet from your position and your opportunity here? I don't
1: think so. I'm thinking about the... First or second question you asked about a typical day. And I didn't mention our clinician directory as another sort of piece of, you know, it's not a typical day that I talk to you all, well, as a group, it's not a typical day I talk to you all as a group, but that's the other part, right? Is, and the reason I started it was because this is sort of the marriage between a, being a clinical psychologist and a sports psychologist is we know what state mental health is outside of sport. Like we know what the state is right now. People cannot get appointments. There's so many barriers to entry and the same goes for our players, right? And so when I started, it was within the first couple of months, the thing that created the newest gray hair for me was, why is it so hard to find good people for players? And so that was really the motivation behind starting the directory was to make sure that we had vetted folks to be able to see our players when we called. And so I think a very frequent part of my week is speaking to someone on a directory about a player that I'm referring over and making sure, and then talking to the player to make sure that they want to see this person. And, you know, I do a lot of back and forth with the player to to make the match. And then, you know, sort of at the end of the week or whenever it happens, just knowing that that connection happened and that player is happy with the choice they made to see one of those clinicians, I think it's important. And I didn't say that earlier on, for whatever reason, I just forgot to mention it. But I think that is a big part of what I do. It's a lot of what I do. And it's the part that makes me happy to do. Absolutely. Just to clarify, you
0: created along maybe with some team members, but you created and initiated the clinician directory. You did that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you designed the application process. Yes. So I'm giggling because nothing about you. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, it's incredible. I think that's important to note that Dr. Amber Cargill, as a director of player wellness at the NFLPA, designed the clinician directory, had a vision for what it needs to be and what it is, and created the application process. And I'm here to tell you, as a member of the clinician directory, and I'm just going to be real, the application was no joke. I mean, it was like, what? Am I applying for a graduate program again? But at the same time, I was like, I love it because that means if I get it and whoever else gets on it, we are going to be a quality addition to the services that the players get. That this is just not something that the NFL PA is like, oh, well, they look fine. They look fine. I mean, it's a rigorous process.
1: Rigorous. Yeah. So you all suffered from my, before I came to the PA, I was a training director at George Washington University in their counseling center. So that is 100% my training director coming out and reviewing internship applications year after year. That's exactly what that application sort of looks like. I mean, scale down just a little bit, but I think to speak to the point, like I absolutely 100% did not want this to be checked the box. Yeah, yeah. And my first sort of big task at the PA was this, a big project was this. I did not want to screw it up and did not want to, sort of come back with a pool of people and I couldn't look at them and say like, oh, I remember that they wrote this in their application or unless they completely lied on this application, like I know this person has some sound training in, you know, I think the the big areas, obviously crisis for us and just good therapy skills. But I think what people resonate with a lot is the fact that we ask about and ask people to speak to very clearly their experience in multicultural competence and diversity because that's what our players want and need. And so sorry for that rigorous application (laughs) process, but also not sorry.
0: No, exactly. That's okay. You're not sorry. It's fine. And I'm proud to get through it and to be chosen to serve the athletes. I think when we did the orientation that you ran, I was so happy for so many reasons, personally and professionally, that all the faces I saw were brown and black people, except for maybe one or two. And that one of those persons was a former professional athlete. So, I mean, it reflected, the faces I saw reflected the outcome of someone completing that rigorous application. So thank you for doing that. And just everything. I mean, another example of your past experiences get you here, have got you to this position that you've been growing and learning to land here ultimately. And this is where you are. And I appreciate all the great work that you're doing for the players. I really have appreciated our conversation and just thank you for taking the time.
1: Absolutely.
2: One of my favorite things about our Sports Epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this Source production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide.